you work with uh, quantum physics, quantum computing, quantum teleportation, quantum phenomena of all sorts. First, <laughs> first of all, tell me about your background. How did you, you get here? I mean, how did you get into this? Uh, uh, well, this is actually interesting. I know now in hindsight that this was unusual the way I was always curious. Mm. When I was a child, I grew up, my father was a, was a researcher in biology, mm -hmm. and he was on a small research station in the countryside in Austria. I was for, for you know, farming, dairy, uh, cheese production. He, and he later became professor in Vienna, for, 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 which is also important for me, mm. for, my, for my whole background. And I'm I'm known. I've we lived in this in this castle actually because this was after '45, and castles were empty, so people lived in castles. You know. and, I, and we were up on an upper floor, and I used to sit there. My parents tied me with a with a belt, such that I could just sit there and watch really for hours what was going on out out there. Mm. And How old were you then? Huh? How old were you? Uh, maybe uh, like. Four, five, yeah. preschool, certainly preschool. And they, they, this was a little village, and the village people thought that this young chap must be something, must be wrong with him. You know? <laughs> okay. So I was always interested in how in in, in uh, how things work. Uh, and I was not so much the the person who likes to build things, to put things together, like little machines or whatever. Often. Uh, children or boys like to do that. So, like, I used to take things apart. Then I saw how they work, and then I left it. I didn't. Mm. I didn't care to put it back together again because I knew how it works. So, what, why should I bother to put it back together? And this goes. This is really back. And this, this I later learned that this is actually unusual. This kind of curiosity out of the curious curiosity. Uh, the next interesting. Uh, I was very lucky in, in in high school, gymnasium we call it, that there was one other, one other uh, uh, like me, who was also just curious. And we, and the rest of the class didn't basically understand us, we were kind of outsiders. Mm -hmm. So you didn't participate in, you know, sports? In the usual things, we didn't participate. Uh -huh. We didn't participate in sports, we didn't participate later when when uh, girls became interesting and so on. This, we, we didn't care at all about these things. We were just What did you do instead? Dis we discussed for hours. We discussed for hours about the universe, about galaxies, about ah. this and that and so on and so on. Good for you that it some was someone else like yeah, that. Yeah, it was good. Otherwise, I would have been completely Alone. lost in yeah. this kind of yeah. environment. And then the crucial point was that, that we had a teacher in physics who was totally excited by physics and he was able to convey this excitement to us yeah, it's so important with teachers like and that just the excitement it doesn't matter whether whether it was right or wrong what he thought it wasn't it, the details are not important what he was teaching us i mean he made us believe that we understand relativity theory <laughs> which i know now is not right but but just just this was extremely important yeah and later on, I came to university, and that was actually a little bit of a down uh, thing because at that time, 
the, I now know that the University of Vienna still suffered from the consequences of World War II, of emigration, and so on and so on. So the labor, with uh, with uh, uh, two exceptions, the level was not not very high, which resulted in the fact, which might have been good, that I didn't go to any lectures, nothing. It was the curriculum was very free. I go to, I got to, I went to very few lectures. I never went to, in my whole in my whole student career. I didn't go to a single hour of quantum mechanics. Really? Not a single hour. No seminar. No, no lectures. Nothing. So where, where, and when did you learn about quantum mechanics? Well, the the, the curriculum at that time was that at the end, you you yeah, there was no bachelor and there was no master's degree. I mean, this development that everybody has to do a bachelor and master degree, I think, is just unnecessary. It's wasting, it's wasting the minds of many young people all over Europe. Mm-hmm. So we could go directly for the, to the PhD, which meant that you had to had to show some advanced courses like advanced seminar in theoretical physics, advanced uh, 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 laboratory courses. And you had to present a PhD thesis. That was it. Mm-hmm. And then at the end there was what is called a rigorosum, a rigorous examination, theory, experiment, and mathematics, and in my case also philosophy, because this was really a doctor of philosophy. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the the theory examination, you know how this one goes uh, some time before the exam to the professor and talks to him about it. And I told him, I really want you to examine me in quantum mechanics. Because uh, I don't know much about it, but it's extremely interesting. It's certainly important. And, and so I learned it from books. Mm-hmm. So you read books yourself? I learned it from books together, again, with this friend of mine who also had studied physics. Mm-hmm. What and became of him? Uh, well, he became he, be, he, wo- he was more the, 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 the person who built things. He bec- he also studied physics uh, and and actually he he died he mm-hmm. he died because uh, of an accident which was caused by his uh, you know bricolage uh, but that's a, a long story okay I see so he passed away uh, unfortunately how, how long young, ago rather young well, very, rather young uh-huh. uh, uh, long ago before before we finished our PhDs but he was a good friend with you until his his death we kept. We we yeah, we 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 were good friends and we did many things together mm-hmm. and we understood uh, you know we had we had the same view of science of the world and so mm-hmm. on and so on. So, it was quite, so quite when did you do the first uh, professional experiment in quantum physics? Uh, that again is a good story. I did my my PhD thesis with a, a person called Helmut Rauch. Mm-hmm. R-A-U-C-H he did something very important in the field he built the first really working neutron interferometer so you know when you take the quantum waves apart and put them back together you see interfer- interference yes. and that was the first interferometer for, for heavy massive massive uh, particles you mm-hmm. know the neutron is as massive as a small atom and, and that that happened while I was working on the other things related to my thesis, which was solid-state physics with neutrons, nothing to do with foundations. But I, I worked on, on a kind of a magnetic scattering problem, 
to understand with by scattering neutrons uh, of magnets the structure of, of, of the of the uh, sample and so on. And so 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 having had the knowledge of, of the magnetic interactions of neutrons and seeing the the uh, neutron interferometer on the next you know experiment at the nuclear reactor in Vienna, the next one, I start to started to worry, well maybe the magnetic properties of the neutron might be interesting to explore in, in interferometry. And that was my first contributions to, to interferometry. So to, uh, I, I devised an experiment which was then done and it became, I did it together with Helmut Rauch and others, that became one of the key experiments in the foundations of quantum mechanics. It's the experiment where you show that when you rotate a neutron once around, it's not the same state. It is a quantum state which has a negative sign. And that you can only observe in an interference experiment. It became one of the one of the fir very first foundations, uh, foundational experiments. And then I moved on with neutrons, long time. Was that the larger, largest object that could be put in a quantum at, state? At that time, it was time. by far the largest object which could put, not in a quantum state, quantum states of atoms in, was, existed, no problem, but in an interferometer, you mm -hmm. know, separate paths and put them back together again. Oh, okay. That was for a long time, it was the largest object. It Is it like a double-slit experiment? It's like a double-slit experiment. Ah. That was in the, in the early 70s, and only in the late 80s, experiments with atoms followed. So there was a significant time when neutrons were the only mm. tool and what happened is that, that there was a, a pioneer of neutron diffraction at MIT in the US, Cliff Schall, C-L-I-F-F-S-H-U-L-L. -L -L. Uh, he was a pioneer of, of neutron uh, physics and he actually got the Nobel Prize. I think it was the prize in 94 or so, 95. Uh -huh for the discovery of neutron diffraction. And he was interested in doing neutron interferometry. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he had started something, but that didn't really succeed. Mm -hmm. And so he invited me to come over and basically to bring the technology with me, how it works and so on. And so, so I then did some interesting work in, at MIT. And at MIT I learned to know uh, interesting people in the foundations like Horn, H-O-R-N-E, Greenberger and Cimoni. Mm -hmm. And these were key people in my, in, my, in my career because they opened up the perspective to entanglement. 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 Yeah. And can you, for the, for the recording, uh, explain this uh, interferometry experiment and what entanglement is? Just for the recording. For for uh, which interferometer? Well, if you start with a neutron, it's going through two slits, and it shows inference it if both are open. It shows interference if both are open, and if we close one, there's no interference. Ah. And the way to talk, the old way to talk about this, to say that the neutron goes through both slits. Yeah. But I don't like to use this language. I w what would you say? The modern way to say is that interference occurs. When there's no information present anywhere about which path the, slit the particle takes, which slit the, the particle takes. Mm. But when there is information available, it's available, and even if, uh, independent of whether observer looks at it or not, then the interference disappears. So it's not a question of interfering with the object; it's a question of inf information is available. 
Well, it's, the object interferes with itself in, this, in a way. These are all these are cases where language becomes difficult. Yeah. Standard language. Mm. And le- uh, w- uh, entanglement. Just explain the concept for the recording. Entanglement is the situation when you have uh, two particles which interact. For example, two photons. Mm. Then they became. Then they remain intimately connected with each other in the sense that you measure one and that uh, changes the quantum state of the other one. Even if they are very, very separate. Separate and this is, this is there's no speed to this. This is instant. This mm. is, right, which... And one could be on the moon and one, one could, could be, be on here. The moon. And, and, and people worry about that. The pe- uh, Einstein called it spooky action at a distance. Mm. But that's a li- going a little too far. I mean, the quantum state is... The way I view it, in accordance, for example, with Heisenberg, one of the founders of quantum mechanics, that the quantum state is not really something propagating out there. Uh, it's more difficult. It's more like a representation of information. That's a modern view which also emerges more and more. Uh, tell me, um, you this talked. This is quite good. Actually. Yeah, it was very good. This neutron is was the largest object you said, but now you have. Been able to entangle atoms, bigger objects? Uh, no, no, no. I'm, superposition. No, uh, Newton was not entangled. This was just superposition. Yeah, okay. The mm. entanglement experiments were with photons, and but we also did interference experiment with fullerenes, with buckyballs, with these large molecules. And now people are doing it with even larger molecules. But entanglement, <coughs> I always uh, uh, work with photons. But can you put uh, because an ob- that's my expertise and I know how yeah. to do it. And, uh, but if we, if we stick to the superposition objects, do you think that we be, we will be able to put an object in a superposition that we can see with our eye? There are, yes, there are actually ideas how to do that. So that should be possible. Really? Uh, it, there's no there's no fundamental reason why it should not be possible. What will we see then? No interference fringes. Just like the same way, you see interference, you see... Yeah, but if we look at uh, the thing going in, through in the, the slits... the moment you look at it, you destroy the, you, you destroy the interference. You get, when you look at it, you must have interacted with the thing in such a way that there, you, mu- you must shine light on it, something like that. Yeah. And that shining the light on it carries information away, whether the, whether the particle is here or there. Mm. And that destroys the interference. That destroys it. That kills it. But okay, let us let us talk about the philosophical aspects from this. Uh, I'll try to phrase this in a way that will work for you for this interview. Many people have a materialistic view of the world; uh, many have not. Um, uh, it is obviously quite hard to have an intuitive way to understand. Um, Entanglement and superpositions in a materialistic worldview. If you do not have a materialistic worldview, could is it easier to understand these phenomena as a hypothesis? Uh, it depends. I mean, what do you mean by materialistic worldview? In quantum physics, we have learned that uh, fields are more important than than. Than matter in the sense of we have a chunk of material here. We talk about probability fields. So this is a much more abstract concept. 
And when you think about it, it means that a probability field is something like a representation of information. And it turns out that information, this is an emerging viewpoint now, uh, may actually be more important than, than, than materialistic reality in a sense. Mm, so information. It's a, mm. information. Information is being defined as the possibility of obtaining knowledge. It's actually a tricky, a tricky thing. <laughs> it is very tricky. Uh, but I wonder is, I mean, would it help to understand quantum phenomena if you believed, for instance, in some kind of universal intelligence? Well, you, you, you mean God or something or like something that. Or something like that. That's actually a good question. I don't know why everybody says... Why everybody defines God via intelligence. That's okay. actually interesting. <laughs> no. I think God is beyond this criteria. If if a God exists, mm. God doesn't need to be intelligent. No, God is it can much, be stupid. Com- <laughs> no, it's com- no, even no, the, no, the, the whole category doesn't apply. No, I understand. The whole category is... We should forget that. But but if you if you okay, but, but if you say that, do you by a god mean something that do not that do not have relation to humans and who does well, not have any moral obligations? These are the old. Pantheistic. These are the old question. Is God? I mean, the deistic versus theistic viewpoint. Yeah, or pantheistic. Deistic meaning you are a god, which who who maybe. Re- responsible for having created, uh, being responsible for the fact that there is something rather than nothing, yeah. <laughs> including the laws of physics. Yeah, that's a deistic, deistic view. Deistic is the tougher one. The God who, who, who can interfere with this world. Yeah, and in, in not in all, but in many belief systems, that is central to yeah to the view of of the world. Now. Now, a God cannot serve as an explanation because God is unexplainable. Yeah, but God could serve as an explanation to a f- phenomenon. Well, that is actually... I mean, there is, a, there is a, 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 a colleague of mine, a physicist. His name is Wilhelm Just. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he, besides being physics, he also uh, did a, a, a training as a psychoanalyst. Mm-hmm of the Jungian kind. Mm-hmm. You know C.G. Jung? Yeah. Oh, yes. And he wrote a thesis, actually, to get his degree at the Jung Institute in Switzerland. And in that thesis, he argues that the individual event in quantum mechanics, which is random, has all characteristics of an act of creation. Because creation is also something which comes out of nothing, mm. has no previous cause, mm. and afterwards it makes sense. Mm. <laughs> so he argues, he actually argues that it could very well be that the individual quantum events are acts of creation. If he's right, then there's a massive possibility for, for, for intervention by God. Yeah. Which one might accept or not. Yeah. You know, the central point about all this discussion is is when you look at the discussion between religion and science, the conflict, I would claim, arises because one of the two or both sides claim too much. Mm. They claim things which they shouldn't claim. 
like when scientists claim that they can disprove or prove the existence of God, in my eyes, that's simply an outrageous no. exaggeration. Yeah, non-existence can't be proved. Neither the existence nor the non-existence. Well, existence could be proven. I don't think so. Well, how would you, you prove? How would you prove? Well, proven in the sense that evidence-based. Uh, I mean, for example, if you could find a very strong correlation between prayer and result. Uh, an amputated leg grows out if you pray for it, but otherwise not. That's a good evidence. Well, but how would, but then how, how would you claim that this is due to a God? Except, why, because why, I pray for it and why, I get an answer. But, but, but maybe the praying puts your whole physical constitution into a, a new state, mm. which makes the, 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 the leg grow. True, but what I mean is it's that... A scientific it's explanation, uh, maybe even, you know? Yeah, I see what you mean. But it's at least it's so an evidence for that hypothesis. I wouldn't. I, wouldn't, I don't think so. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I would say that there's no... Scientifically, there's no evidence possible for the hypothesis of God. Likewise, there's no evidence possible for the non no. Uh, non-existence, I agree with yeah, you. Thank God. Thank God thank this God. is the truth because, because to be able to prove the existence of God would be the end of religion. Yes. Religion, it has to do, at least the Christian way, has to do with some, you know, with the fact that there's a belief, there's some ethical decisions, some moral decisions and so on. And all that would go, go out. But would that be a problem? In if you prove the yes. existence of God? In my view, yes. I mean, everybody would would run to the church just as out of opportunism, right? Or maybe they That's stop running. That's not my picture of religion. But this is an interesting... Everybody, we would meet in the church. Everybody, the churches would be full. Every, but this every is an day. interesting <laughs> Gedanken experiment. Because imagine that you actually proved the existence of God. Right. God is something very concrete. It's an agent yes. with intentionality. And so on and so forth. And it can act in your life, and it will punish you if you do the wrong thing. Yeah, I know? can act so uh, in certain, to a certain extension. In, in yeah. people would feel very insecure right away. Right? Yes, but or I mean, maybe, maybe we would learn that uh, that God doesn't care if we go to church or not, for example. So maybe people would stop go to church, but obey to certain rules and just live their lives. Would that be a problem? I don't know. <laughs> okay, just an experiment. It's a funny Gedanken experiment. It is. <laughs> we should actually think of having that one of these broad. You must have that in Sweden too. Like the Bild Zeitung in Germany, which is the tabloid newspaper, yeah. running, running a headline: "Existence of God Proved by mm. Scientists." And see what Let's happens. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm thinking it, it, it's a bit like if you would That's prove thing, intelligent right. life in universe, if you would find alien life somewhere. Well, a friend of mine once said about the question, is there intelligent life in the universe? He said, yes, I'm still alive. <laughs> That's good. That's good. No, but go back to, back to quantum physics. Uh, I, I want to go back to the question whether a tastic worldview uh, and, and with a tastic worldview I mean that you believe in a God that has intentionality and agency and well, intentionality who can intact, yeah. the world, yeah. would that would a tastic worldview help in any way to understand quantum physics that's my question no I don't think so no no. So, so what you're saying is that no, quantum physics is not helped by that or uh, any alternative. Or any alternative, and likewise, it's not 
quantum physics is not against that either, right? No, uh, that that I understand. No, any, no, any alternative. Either way, but both ways, yeah. Okay, so, 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 what you're saying is that quantum physics doesn't get any help from a materialistic worldview or a theistic worldview. It doesn't matter from a quantum physics perspective. I would say so. Yeah. Mm. Okay, that, that's interesting. That's interesting because you know, in 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 pop culture, you, you, quantum physics is used or misused a lot. Yeah, yeah right. To right. explain what whatever people no, it's what think people is are funny. not aware. Besides, there's interesting and challenging questions. Well, quantum physics is, you know, hardcore science in a sense, you know, effects in what to explain effects. Yeah. And you do statistics, you do measurements, and so on and so on. Yeah. Okay, tell me, okay, so you've, you've been doing this research since the 70s, basically. What yeah. what experiment, of all experiments you've done, has thrilled you the most? I mean, surprised you the most? Well, what surprised uh, us the most was our... Our discovery first in theory and then in experiment uh, of entanglement of three particles. Three particles entanglement. Three, right, because then, then on the basis, this was a discovery uh, I made with with two colleagues, Greenberger and Ho, and I mentioned them before in the late 1980s. When you have three entangled particles and you measure two of them, you can definitely predict what the property of the third one will be. But the interesting point is that for each individual particle, the prediction you make on the basis of quantum mechanics is completely opposite to a classical view. So opposite in what way? To a classical view. Uh -huh. So like, for example, you, you predict in quantum mechanics that the third one has to be spin up, and you experiment in, on, on the, in, on the, in, the, in the classical a local realistic view, you predict that it's been done. Uh -huh. So you can. So there is a conflict between quantum physics and and classical physics on the individual event by event, not just statistical. For each individual event, there's a contradiction, and that was mind-boggling. We didn't believe this, and so we did the experiment. We found it. It is true, and and what then? It turned out that such states are now essential, they are important in quantum computation, <laughs> which is another miracle. That's some of the work which we did out of uh, out of curiosity is now now gets an application. Likewise for for quantum teleportation, that you can transfer a quantum state from A to B without a connection between A and B at that time. That is really kind of uh, fantastic. You know. So, well, uh, if I understand you correctly, let's see if I do. Uh, you can, you can transfer a state from A to B. All right. Uh, they can be very far apart, and there's no connection uh, between right. them. And what you mean by a state? I mean the state for the particle. The state is basically all the information which characterizes the particle. Okay. So I don't have to transfer the particle itself mm. which is not necessary because because like if you if you look at ourselves with our bodies we are made up of atoms yeah I see what but you it mean. doesn't matter whether this this uh, carbon atom at the tip of my finger is really that carbon atom or another one but what is the difference <laughs> no no that's true <laughs> but I understand that but what is the difference between measuring a 
and predicting from that measure that B will in, be in the same state and the teleportation that you talked about. What is the difference? The difference is that when I measure A, I cannot influence what the outcome is because the outcome is random. Aha, before you measure, you don't know. You don't know. Aha. It's completely random. Aha. So, so you know that the other one is related, but you cannot tell it to be up or down. Aha, but in this case, you can tell A to be up. You can teleport you can teleport ah, the quantum state. I see, I see what you mean. You can teleport a known state right. to another place. Or even an unknown state. You don't have to know the state. But you, you can, can know the state. You can know the state. It doesn't matter. Ah, yeah. uh-uh, ah, that's, so really that's, that's really that's interesting. That's really interesting. So that means that you can transfer information. Yes, and actually uh, a teleportation and and some some uh, uh, variants of it which are called entanglement swapping but that is not important mm-hmm. are considered by many as as a way how future quantum computers can talk to each other <laughs> mind boggling <laughs> yeah uh, uh, and you can do this over uh, any kind of distance well we have done we have done uh, just not so long ago and experiments over 140 kilometers, which is serious distance. And that kind of experiment will be continued in space, very soon, with satellites. So there's no limit of distance. And there is no... It, it happens instance, instantly. Well, the point is that the quantum... It is a tricky point. The quantum state, in a sense, arrives instantly... But the information is still encoded in a way. You cannot read out the information. You need to you need to get some classical information, which can only arrive with the speed of light, to be able to read out, which is a limit of sending information, but it's not a limit in quantum computation, because the quantum com- computer can start right away working on this, on this kind of undefined okay. information. It's okay, very but strange. Very, very strange. strange. And then I must ask. No, that's, 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 it's unusual, yeah. It's, but it's all mathematically understood. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, but not intuitively understood. Well, working in the field, one gets an intuitive understanding over time. Okay, but but uh, I must ask you this question then. I mean, uh, realism, the, the idea that reality exists with outside your brain. How do you, how do you? How do you make that compatible with with this? One has to be very cautious here. I mean, it it is it would be silly to question the reality of of the moon, for example. The moon is there; it doesn't matter whether we look or not. Uh, for certain quantum systems, the precise statement is that it would be wrong to assume that what you measure, the features properly you measure, have existed before you do the measurement. That can lead to contradictions. Mm-hmm. So in some situations, uh, your, your choice of measurement apparatus defines reality. Which is interesting. But that and is Schrodinger's cat, right? I want, it's Schrodinger's cat. It's Schrodinger's cat, yes, that's part of it. Uh, it's also at the heart of the uncertainty principle. You can decide whether you, in Heisenberg's uncertainty, you can decide whether you, whether you measure position or momentum. Mm. And then if you decide to measure momentum, then momentum is an element of reality. 
and position is not. Mm. <laughs> Likewise. So what kind of experiments are just around the corner in your view? I mean, uh, what will you do the next five years? What will happen? Well, what is amazing think? actually is that, that, that you know, this, all this development in fundamental experiments, including entanglement, but also other features, have led to ideas for a new communication and information technology, quantum computer, quantum cryptography, and so on. And there are huge efforts worldwide to develop this, this into a technology. Hmm. We talk about hundreds of millions of dollars in the U.S., in the in China, hmm. uh, uh, and also in in Europe. The European Union is putting up a program now, the so-called flagship uh, quantum mm -hmm. information flagship, which is one billion one billion euros. Fantastic. Uh, and so. So this is this is becoming really serious. Are you involved in that project? I I I'm, I I I am involved in, in. I was I did a lot of work talking to to, to politics and to mm. uh, to the administrators in Brussels and arguing and so on and so on. So so this is going to be very important. So this will be, this develop. But I myself are still more interested in the fundamental issues. Mm. So. So what, what? Okay, two quest, two more questions. When do you think I will have a, a laptop that has some kind of quantum computing in inside? Well, the the point is that I I believe I, I you see there is no reason that quantum computation will not succeed in terms of small devices and everything. It's a huge technological challenge. And when this happens, your computer will not look like a laptop anymore. But nobody has an idea how it will look like. But when will it happen, do you think? Well, uh, there are good reasons that what we call a, a specific purpose quantum computer, which means something defined which can do a, ra a certain range of problems, but not universal, not mm. everything. There are, there are people talk about the time span of five to ten years. Mm. Okay. For the general general purpose universal quantum computer, uh, uh, the guess is open. Okay. One can't say no. when this will happen. Okay, but, but it's, mm? it's not. It's you know. Uh, and the other thing is quantum communication, by cryptography, and all this, mm. and that is also a time scale of five to ten years. To I mean, it can already already be done today. Mm. Uh, but the big challenge is, you know, data rates and compatibility with existing systems and so on and so on. That's, that's a huge technological question, but not fundamental ones. Mm. So you say that you're most interested in the fundamentals. Right. What are the really intriguing, exciting questions that you have in your mind that you want to find answers to now? Well, uh, I mean, the... The question which is interesting is to the question, why do we have quantum mechanics? Mm. What is the consistent worldview which from a priori considerations uh, uh, tells us that the theory has to, has to be there, has to have that structure? For relativity theory we have such a priori questions, like the fact that all laws of nature must be the same in all inertial frames, for example. Mm. Right? Mm. For quantum physics, something like that is slowly emerging. Really? It, it has to do with the 
invariance of information, which the fact that information uh, is conserved, it cannot be lost. Uh, that, that is related to the evolution of quantum systems. If a quantum system evolves, the information has to be preserved. And it seems to be that this notion of information, as I said before, is very basic. And maybe we even find that the notions of space and time can emerge from it. Mm -hmm. That they're not a priori given, but they come from, from this kind of... So that is from a, from a conceptual point of view the real challenge, but uh, uh, this is not my field. I don't work on these kind of things. Uh, experimentally, we work on quantum communication with satellites. We work on, on, on uh, quantum... Uh, on, on using uh, what we call what is called high-dimensional states, states which are not just two possible states like you know spin up, spin down, but many dimensions to use this for quantum computation. I work on entanglement of atoms. That's a very interesting mm. field, which where, where I hope we will have results. And recently, a student of mine uh, uh, developed a, a, a program which automatically designs quantum experiments. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah. Uh, it's an experiment where you tell him, you know, I want this quantum state. And the computer is given the tools and it defines and designs a, a possible setup. And the computer actually invented solutions which nobody would ever have found. That's because, fantastic. Because they are so counterintuitive, you would not you wouldn't find them. So that's an interesting direction of research which we which we develop, we want we want this kind of program now to learn by itself what is interesting, what is not interesting, and start to ask its own questions. You know, so soon the computer will be the researcher, and you just <laughs> do the experiments <laughs> it asks for. Well, the, the next step would be that the computer <laughs> is connected to the hardware, and it does also does the experiment, right? <laughs> You can just sit by and watch. You just watch on the court. <laughs> you just go to the beach and relax. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Okay, thank you so much. Okay.